Hello, I am here with comedian Kevin Banner today. I don't know. I am not a comedian. I don't really know much about comedy. He definitely schooled me. He taught me some things. Of course, he is in the inner circle of comedy, so he knows all of the niche information, how to be a good com... com- comic oh my god why did I almost say comedist (laughs) that's not the right word um he is very knowledgeable and also entertaining as I really enjoyed my time with Kevin we met very organically and we talk a little bit about that throughout the episode as well he shares like why he's actually not really going to be doing comedy anymore and why so many comedy specials on Netflix suck This guy has a long list of accomplishments, though he would not tell you off the bat. Um, And I had a really great time, and I think you will too. So let's do it. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited. I hope that it's like nice and fun i've never really talked in person to a comedian before so oh yeah well we're garbage so (laughs) i hope you're prepared for steaming pile of garbage (laughs) okay perfect well on that note do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself let us know other than comedian who is kevin yeah hi uh cuties i am kevin banner i am a comedian for 19 years and if you haven't heard of me don't worry i haven't heard of me either (laughs) Um, I have a, a comedy special that came out uh, last year on uh, YouTube and anywhere that you can listen to audio. Uh, uh, it's called Heavy Favorite, and uh, I like to get my plugs out of the way up front nice. in case people turn me off halfway through. So <laughs> Smart. Good yeah. play. Okay, so you've been a comedian for 19 years. Yeah. How did you get into comedy? Where does that begin for you? Um, so I was just kind of bored. I was in my early 20s, and I did plays and things in high school and I kind of missed performing and so I just wanted to do something but I didn't want to do local theater it didn't appeal to me at that time in my life Um, it still doesn't but yeah I was just looking for something to do and uh, comedy was the easiest thing to get into where you didn't have to rely on other people showing up at a certain time with you to rehearse or to to go through anything else you could just you could just go to a place where a microphone was and you could start so yeah I started doing comedy and uh, I like to say a terrible thing happened I just wanted to do it once but a terrible thing happened and I had a good time (laughs) and so here we are 19 years later so so what does it mean doing it once like you went to like a comedy club and you're like I'll just there was so I started on Vancouver Island and there was at the time there was no comedy clubs so I called around to a bunch of music open mics and I was like could I tell some jokes at your open mic and a bunch of places were like what kind of content would you have and would you want to swear and I was like I kind of knew that I would probably swear and Then I finally called this one place in Victoria, uh, Logan's Pub, and I said, can I come to comedy at your open mic? And they're like, are you going to swear? And I was like, yeah, like, is that all right? And the guy yelled to whoever was behind me, goes, a fucking comedian wants to tell some fucking jokes. Is that going to be a fucking problem? And then the guy in the background, I could hear like, fuck no. So I was like, sweet, I'll see you Wednesday. So yeah, I went in and, and did it and I had fun and... Yeah, and then I went and I did it a few times 
for the first like four or five years that I did comedy, because there was no comedy scene in Victoria at the time, I only did it maybe 20, 25 times. Oh. But then a club in Victoria, it was a sports bar called Hecklers, opened, uh, started doing comedy nights, which is, it's the worst named comedy club on the planet. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, they started doing shows and then they started doing an amateur night and a friend of mine sent me a, a Facebook thing she's like hey there is a club starting in Victoria you should go so I was the first uh, amateur on stage on their first amateur night and it went really well because there was nobody else really doing a lot of stand-up in Victoria at the time hmm. so I had this like seven minute set that really worked for me in those like 20 times that I'd been on stage before and they liked me and asked me to keep coming back. And so I would do just guest spots uh, after the host, before the opening act. And then they made me the house MC. The guy that was the MC was a local radio guy. He was so busy with his radio stuff that he quit doing it. He quit doing stand-up and they asked me if I wanted to be the house MC. And so then the next year and a half, I did like 100 shows. I was there every Friday and Saturday for, for yeah, a little over a year. So Wow. So, okay, let's break it down. Like when you're doing comedy that frequently, how often are you, and at like the same spot, how often are you changing your set? How do you get new material? Well, at that time, uh, I was very nervous about not doing well. So I would do a lot of the same stuff. But at that time, it was fine because they didn't have, like their regulars were cool and kind of understood that, you know, I was still starting out. But yeah, over time, like you just, it, you kind of have to start developing material and, and trying stuff. That was the thing. It was like the fear of like not getting a laugh. And once you get past the fear of bombing, you're so much freer to experiment and try stuff. And like, if it doesn't work, it, it doesn't work. Uh, I just probably won't try it again. Or you do try it. Like sometimes I've had jokes where like, I know something's there and it took me, there's a joke on my special about um, a bad tattoo I have, it took me uh, close to a decade to get it right. So I would I would work on that bit and it just, I couldn't get it. I couldn't figure out a way to tell this story that I knew. Because sometimes telling a true story is the hardest thing to make funny. Right. Because it might, it's sometimes it's one of those you had to be there kind of things. But uh, yeah, it just took me so long. So I would abandon the bit and I would be like, oh, forget about that. And then I'd, I'd go through all of the new material that I was working on. I was getting, and I released an album in t uh, 2016 or 17. And then I was like, oh, I need new stuff. And I was like, I got to figure out that tattoo bit. So I finally, it took forever. But yeah, so sometimes it, it's the very frustrating thing with comedy is like sometimes a joke comes to you immediately and you... Mm say something to a friend and you're like, oh, I got to write that down. And then you've got a great joke in your act. But sometimes it, it's just a grind trying to get it to a place where an audience thinks it's as funny as you think it is. Yeah, yeah. So when you say that you're like reworking it, trying to like make it actually funny and it's a true story, are you like just shifting the way that you're telling it, the order that you're telling it? Like how do you rework it? Yeah, so like sometimes... Like with a, sometimes people will tell, especially new comics, will tell a true story that happened to them and they give too much detail and you can lose people in that. And it's comedy is all about timing. So you can lose people if you take too long to get to what's funny about the thing. And you'll see a lot of a lot of young comedians will have that. It's, it's not even a bad habit. 
Uh, it's just they don't know any better. Sometimes comedians will never lose. Like there's when you start in comedy, you kind of have a voice where you're more doing an impression of comedians you've seen because you're still very nervous when you get up right. there. And a lot of times, or not a lot of times, but there are a lot of people I know over the years in comedy who never lost that starter voice. So they still, they're 10, 15 years into comedy and they're still not confident up there. Right. And audiences can smell that. Audiences can tell like this isn't a confident person. So mm. when we hear like a comedian say like, oh, I finally found my voice. It takes 10 years to wow. like, and <laughs> there was one of my favorite comedians, this guy, Colin Quinn, he said, uh, he was doing like a, a speech at Just for Last Festival, like the state of the industry kind of thing. And he's like, uh, comedians, uh, if you're starting out, just know it takes five years to find your voice. Uh, for tenure comedians, you know, that's a lie. <laughs> it takes 10 years to find your voice. And it really did. And it, and it's fun to watch comics figure it out. Mm. Because like there's comedians in, in the Vancouver comedy scene that I've seen since they started. They were brand spanking new. And 10 years later, they finally are funny. Mm. And like they would get laughs f enough to keep going, but they weren't consistently funny where it's like, oh, I would put them on a show or I would recommend them to a booker uh, and be confident that the booker would still return my calls in the future. Where It's like, <laughs> I'm not talking to you. You recommended a bunch of bums to me. But you, it's so fun to watch people get it. And just something clicks and all of a sudden they can they can do stand up. Mm. I feel like there's like I, I'm really not knowledgeable like I don't even watch like a lot of like comedy specials like on Netflix and shit there's so many of them now yeah. and a lot of the time honestly a lot of the time I feel like oh my god it's so crude it's so like intense mm. it's too like much for me right. and I feel like there are different streams of comedy right like different mm -hmm. kind of like I don't know lanes if you will but like a lot of the time I feel like people are relying on that like super crude, like punchy joke. What do you attribute that to? Uh, well, it's just, uh, I think a lot of people, it's just what they personally find funny. But then you'll see comedians that that's not their personality, but they're trying to go down that route. Yeah. And that's to me. Yeah. I, I don't mind crude comedy. I don't mind if a comedy, if a comic is talking about like, a tragedy that they had blah 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 as long as it's funny and it feels authentic to who they are but when somebody's clearly trying to court a certain audience by going you know too blue or too too crude or whatever i check out yeah i feel like we've seen that recently in the modern public kind of social media world yeah there's been a few blunders there's I a think, lot recently yeah and i yeah, like one of the trends with comedy right now, too, is that it's very like people want to get up there and treat comedy like therapy. And I never liked that. Yeah. I've always hated that where it's like t you should be saying funny things into the microphone that because people left their house. They got a babysitter. Right. They came to laugh. Why are you up there talking about the saddest thing that ever happened to you and not paying it off? Like it, I'm all for talk about whatever you want to talk about if it's dark if it's sad anything but at the end of what you're saying pay it off with a laugh yeah 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 and i find that the there's a big trend right now where it's just people want to share their tragedy and speak truth to power well how about speak jokes into a microphone because <laughs> people want to laugh that's the name of the game it's comedy so yeah do you think that anybody can be a comic 
Or do you think you are like kind of born with <sighs> the funny talent? I think you can you can learn to kind of because there can be like there there are comics out there that I don't think are at all funny, but they make a great living doing comedy. They do it more of a in a mathematical way right. where it's like they plug in. If I say this like this and this, then the result will be a laugh. But they're not they're not giving you like any genuine perspective on who mm. they are as a person. They're just kind of, yeah, making a word salad that pays off with a laugh. Now, I know I'm contradicting myself where I'm like, just be funny. But <laughs> I also ultimately the most important thing to me is that you are authentic. And there are people who get into comedy where... I couldn't imagine them being the funniest person in a room full of a hundred coworkers. And now they want to stand on stage and be the, like say like I am, I don't, I don't understand how they got to the point where they want to do comedy where (laughs) it's like, you are brutally unfunny. Brent, but a fantastic comedian, maybe the best in Canada. He had a uh, rule when he used to book a room in Vancouver that you would only get booked on our shows if you were funny or fun to be around. Mm. But I know people in comedy uh, all over the world that are neither. And I <laughs> yeah. don't understand why do you want to do this? You're not, you're, I don't, I just don't get it. So what is it then? Like, are they like, I need to prove this to myself? Like, what is the thing? Like, is there some <sighs> kind of like, I don't know, like, I know like the bitches love funny people, <laughs> but like, If you're not funny. I have no idea. I can't explain it. I don't know. Like, I know why I wanted to do it because I I liked comedy and I wanted to perform and I didn't want to have co-stars. So (laughs) I didn't want to have to go audition for, because also I think the rejection of, which is so funny because in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I didn't want to get rejected like auditioning for something that I looked at as being beneath me. And then it's like you get into comedy and it's years of rejection. Right. Um, and it's rejection on a nightly basis because especially when you're trying new stuff that isn't landing, you don't have the timing down yet. In real time, you are being rejected by rooms full mm. of people. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's got to suck. I don't know if I can handle that. I would be it's like... It's not the most fun, but I also think that that's what stops a lot of people from doing it. Yeah. Like, a lot of people can make a, a hot seven-minute set and then nothing. So like right. there's a lot of comics that I've met over the years and I'm like, God, he was so funny. He had that great bit about this and that. Where did he go? And it's like, he just fell off. It's tough to make the jump beyond and like to get to a headliner level where you're doing 45 minutes to an hour. Mm. It takes a long, long time. And now with social media, there's a lot of people trying to just do crowd work where you're not right. doing material. You're just talking to somebody in the crowd and trying to get a laugh out of that. Yeah. And they're posting a lot of really weak yeah. shit, unfunny stuff. But that's kind of the way the game is now. It's get your, build your brand, which as a comedian, that makes me sick. Like comedians shouldn't have a brand. I don't think a brand is for a, an influencer or mm-hmm. whatever. But one of the other reasons is that like they don't want they do those crowd work videos because people watch that. So, yeah, the bad thing about that is, is now people are going to comedy shows hoping to yeah. interact with the comedian. I don't want that. I want to get up there and tell the jokes that I've worked on. Yeah, I don't want to have a conversation. I don't I don't care what you 
do for the living, sir, in the front row. And I don't (laughs) care how you met her and this, that and the other. I want to tell my jokes. But now people are seeing all these crowd work things and comedian destroys heckler videos. And they want to be that heckler who is destroyed. And it's it's enraging. But unfortunately, that's kind of the way the business is going now. Like I've never really I never really had clips of my stuff online because also uh, developing material takes a long time. Right. And if you put everything that you do online and then people come to see you, they might be super excited and they'll come see you once. Right. But then they see, oh, well, I saw all of this before. Is that all he or she does? So I don't need to go again. But yeah. So with when I started comedy, there was no YouTube or Instagram reels or TikTok or any of that stuff. So it was all about the live performance. But I think that's kind of flipped now where it's all about Mm. developing an online presence. And that's so hard, though, because then what do you do if you're not like keen on that mentality and you don't want to be that type of comedian? How do you maintain like relevancy? You don't. (laughs) So you become a stay at home dad and you marry a successful woman (laughs) like I did. So. Perfect. Yeah, it's I struggle to like for the last few years, I've been like, I don't really know how much longer I want to do stand up because Mm. it is such a grind and you do give so much of yourself away. And I'd rather now, you know, I'm I'm very happily married. I have a wonderful little little girl. She turns two in a couple weeks. I I don't want to like I've seen so many comics talk about being on the road. Right. And facetiming major events in their kid's life and I was yeah like, that'll never be me that's so i hard. can't do that yeah also just being on the road isn't a ton of fun to begin with so like last year i only did one real like stretch on the road i was in winnipeg for six days or something like that but otherwise it's all i just keep local and right and grind away out here but so what's the trajectory like if you are grinding if you are trying to like make it big or whatever what's the vibe like you you start obviously small then when I guess you get in your pocket or whatever you find your voice then are you yeah like touring like what are you doing well in Canada that's the other thing that bugs me is that in Canada the goal is to get big enough that you can move to America or get enough credits under your belt where you can leave the country and I never wanted to do that I never wanted to go live in LA or New York or whatever. So for me, like just to put out a quality album and a quality special is all I really wanted to do. So at this point, I don't know what's next. I want it. I've done everything that I really wanted to do in comedy. And if I never did another set, uh, I'd be fine. Like I said earlier, I, I wanted to do it once. And then I went and I saw a show in Victoria and there was uh, three really funny comedians from Vancouver opening for a a famous comic from L.A. And I was like, okay, now my goal is I want to do a show with one of those funny guys from Vancouver and just have them think I was funny. And I I did. And so then it was like, okay, now what do I want to do? Okay, I want to become a good uh, middle act, a good opening act. And then I did. And then I was like to become a headliner. I don't think I can do that. Like it's such a stretch, like 45 minutes and Mm. having to do well that whole time. And then I friggin' I became a headliner and then it's like, okay, so what else do I want to do? I want to, I want to get flown somewhere to tell jokes. So then I got flown to Toronto to do comedy. And I was like, all these little things like I've opened for, I opened for two, my two all time favorite comedians. I've opened for a bunch of famous American comics. And it's like, if you had told me, uh, 19 years ago like oh you're gonna get to do all this cool shit and 
then it'll end. I would have been like, that's rad. Like, yeah. Fame was never the goal. And I find that some like people don't understand that there's a good middle class in show business and you don't have to be a household name uh, to, to earn some nice money and not have to, um, you know, have a day job. So, yeah. uh, not have to have a nine to five. So yeah, like if, if it all ended tomorrow, I couldn't, I couldn't be bitter. I couldn't be sad about it because I had a, a great run and I've had a lot of fun and a lot of great experiences. And I met my, my wife because I did comedy. I met my first wife too, because I did comedy. So <laughs> I've, I've, uh, yeah, I've had a great, great time and I like I said like I got to open for some of my heroes mm. and if you had told me at 13 like oh you're gonna do shows with David Spade yeah you're gonna do shows with Norm Macdonald who's my all-time favorite comedian I'm like fuck I would have been so stoked totally so. I know I actually um came to know you through your wife I did her hair yeah. and I just happened to be talking to her about like my podcast and I was like yeah like I've been looking for a comedian and she's like, I actually know a guy. Uh -huh. And I was like, really? Oh, <laughs> and then we got to talking yeah. and then she told me about your special promptly came home. And I was like to my husband, Jordan, I was like, Oh my God, Jordan, we have to watch this blah, blah, blah. blah. And like I said earlier, like I'm not a big comedy guy. Like I don't usually like laugh at things and we were watching and he was dying. <laughs> he was laughing so hard oh, and awesome. I was actually laughing too, which I was like super like, happy I guess I'm like I was so happy that you like had these jokes that were like yeah not crazy crude but like still funny and still like relatable and I just am like then after I watched your special then I obviously googled you looked at all of your accomplishments and everything and I was like holy fuck this guy's done a lot of things like you opened for David Spade you won like a a serious XM thing or you're a finalist in a serious I was XM a thing? finalist in 2016 or 17 for serious serious XM's top comic right and then also you were signed to Chad Kroger's label yeah. I was the first stand-up comic uh that signed to 604 records um that's crazy I opened I got to do two shows opening for Bill Burr in Vancouver wow yeah so there was like almost 2,000 people a show and uh, it just so happened that one of the producers at 604 was in the crowd and they had been talking about doing uh, comedy albums. Shit. And they asked me if I'd be interested and I was. And yeah, so that was my first album was with them. And then my most recent album, uh, Heavy Favorite, I did with Comedy Records, who's a label out of Toronto and Miami. And uh, yeah, no, I was just I've been been very lucky. That mm -hmm. Kind of right place, right time. And also talent. Yeah. Give well, some credit. Come on. Talent means a lot less these days than you think it would. But yeah, yeah, fair enough. Explain to me this album thing. Because I saw that too. And I was like, what is an album? What is a comedy album? What does that mean? For what I did for my most recent one is I did about 40 shows in six weeks <laughs> just to hammer out my material and get it as tight as I could. Like material that I've been working on for the last few years since the last album came out. Just hammer, 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 work on the material for years. And then really in the last home stretch before I recorded, I did as many shows as I could just to make sure my timing was as tight mm. as possible. And then, yeah, I film it. Uh, I feel this is my first time I've filmed a, a special. So I uh, filmed it in Victoria at at Hecklers. The guy that owns the the two guys that own that club there um, 
have been so supportive of me from day one. Nice. And I told uh, Aaron, the manager, I was like, I'm thinking about stopping doing stand up and I want to make sure I want I just want to do a special and I just I just don't know where and like how and all that and he's like I would produce that if you want to do that and so he put up a chunk of money and he uh yeah he he made my my special we hired uh, a buddy of mine um who he filmed it he had a three camera shoot and then uh, with the audio of the special, that's how Canadian comics make their money is it's called sound exchange. So anytime your tracks are played on Sirius XM radio, you make some money. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with my, my first album, that's, it was great because I was the first comic on that label. And so they were able to push it a bit more with the newest album uh, because uh, Comedy Records has ties in America. It's been played on American satellite radio as well, not just the Canadian channels. So that's been great but yeah so basically a comedy album is just a, as hot of a show as you can get it recorded and and pressed and put out into the world hmm. but it's funny because like my first album came out on cd and vinyl and this one's just digital because like nowadays a lot of cars don't even have yeah. cd players so yeah um, so then you can just stream it anywhere kind of thing yep yep so it's on like apple music spotify any of okay. those kind of things and it's funny because sometimes if you look me up if you were to type in Kevin Banner in one of those, it might show up as two artists, like one for each album, because had a tiny falling out with the first label. Oh, shit. Um, and so it's tough to tie my ID together because right. I can't, I don't talk to them anymore. Tough. For no other reason than I just, I didn't do my second album with them because okay. I wanted to, because my friend who has supported me for years put it put the money into it so I he took it to a different label and that's fine I support that and it was a better deal for me mm. but yeah they, they're not super pumped with me so anyway yeah so if you look <laughs> me up you might see two Kevin Banners I'm both of them <laughs> it's me both times yeah. that's kind of like crazy like I feel like you're so humble which is great but it's I like should be though like I'm really nobody I'm just I'm just I I'm I'm not I like honestly I'm I'm I if I if I wasn't humble then there would be a problem I mean fair enough but also my jaws on the floor because like your list of accomplishments you're like I I'm nothing it's fine but a lot of those accomplishments and this is something that Canadian comics probably wouldn't want me to say is a lot of those things are really just things that look good to people who aren't in comedy or fair don't enough. follow it closer because like yeah I've got to open for some famous people some of them pay phenomenal money some of them pay bullshit money right i don't want to name names but uh <laughs> one a famous american comic didn't pay and then i i went to the venue and i was like can you believe he didn't pay and then the venue was like we'll give you some money for that oh wow because that that is horseshit the guy made uh like twenty three thousand dollars because they paid him right they he made 23 grand in three nights and then paid his opening act nothing so holy shit yeah, what a shit widget but that's bum um but yeah, but so I've had both of my albums hit number one on the Canadian comedy iTunes charts. Looks great to people who don't know any right. better, but that really means because nobody uses iTunes anymore. Right. It's it's all Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. So that means that, you know, each of them on opening day sold 50, 60 copies. <laughs> so that's a number one, but, but shh, don't tell uh, anybody because... That's something that Canadian comics will be like, I've had two number one albums. It's right. like, yeah, come on. Cool. People who know better know, but it does. It is one of those things that like people in my hometown are like, you're killing it, man. I'm like, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks. 
Every once in a while, I get to put a picture on Instagram with a with a famous person and be like, hey, I'm with them. But yeah, that's pretty cool. It's fun, but you know. But I mean, like you said, it's like you you only want to do this once and now you're like content with where you're at. You've made exactly. huge accomplishments for what you, I guess, like expected out of this. Sh- shot so far beyond anything I ever could have expected. So again, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled with how it all went. But yeah, there's no reason to not be humble. Yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Again, like you said, if you weren't humble, it would be like, okay, this guy thinks he's yeah. cool. Well, there's also like, I know comics who have been doing it just a few years and they are... Like they have egos and I'm like, hey, do you not hear that you suck? Do you not hear hear how like the crowd is just like if there's a hundred people in the room, if 20 of them are laughing at what you're saying, write better jokes. But no, you're just like strutting. And I'm like 20 people left. Yeah, you should you should quit. But (laughs) Kate, that actually is like a good thing that I wanted to bring up because I feel like maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like people kind of, they go on the stage and yeah, like 20 people will laugh at their, them and they're like, oh, I am the shit. I have made it. This is amazing. And then they get this big ego and then that kind of just like manifests itself, becomes this big snowball thing where then they maybe, maybe they go on TikTok or whatever and then they're mm. getting likes and it just becomes like a bigger ego, bigger ego, this whole thing. Can you, as a comic, you can see through that, obviously. And oh, you're like, yeah. you're full of shit. Yeah, that cool? Absolutely. And I can see like... To people, too, that aren't big comedy fans, they'll hear a joke that's it's like, God, my God, that joke is older than I am. <laughs> but if you're not a big comedy fan, you might go, oh, my God, that guy's so funny. It's like, well, no, he's not funny. The comedian right. that wrote that it, when TV was black and white is funny. <laughs> but like you're just doing a recycled dog shit. So like comics know better. Mm-hmm. And to me, I which is probably to my detriment uh, career wise is I, I was always way more thirsty for the respect of the comedians I respected than I was for money and notoriety. Right. There was a handful of comics that I was like, I just want that guy to respect me and think that I'm funny. And you know, for the most part, those guys did and do, but you have to pick your path. Do you want to b- try to be famous and rich, which especially in Canada is, as can be a very dead end street or uh, do you want to be an artist and do you want the respect of your, your peers? And mm-hmm. That's the way I went. But I feel like that like leans and lends more to the like authenticity of it all. Because if people are out here like recycling jokes and these kinds of things, yeah. which I'm sure is like standard, some of that probably does happen anyways. It's, re- it's, it, it's honestly the worst thing you can be as a comedian is to, is to steal right. jokes. It's like careers have been ended by guys getting exposed as being joke thieves or like, or those guys are still out there doing it, but they, they went from like having TV shows and selling out stadiums Mm. to now all of a sudden, you know, they're still making a great living, but nobody like you're, you're not getting the audience that I would want. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, there's a, there's a young comedian in Vancouver who started doing one of my jokes and it's so when I was in the run up to my special he hosted one of the shows that I was doing when I was doing all those like 40 or 50 shows and he started doing a really bad version of one of my jokes and it's so close that it he uses like such specific references that I use it that there's no way that it just he came up with it so I sent him the clip for my special I'm like just hey just to be heads up 
um, you're doing this joke. And I was like, I don't want you to think I stole it from you. Right. Um, and I, but my problem is that I'm too nice to be like, stop doing my mm. fucking joke, which oh I gosh. should have. So he sent me back a message. Ah, great minds think alike. And he still does the joke. Shut up. Yeah. So on my special, there's a joke about me getting a bad tattoo or getting a, I had a, a Japanese word on my arm and I showed it to a Japanese coworker. It's a true story. And he's like, oh, that means you're physically strong and I, blah, 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 blah. So at the end, I was like, oh, I showed it to another Japanese coworker. I was like, does that offend you that I have this? And he goes, uh, as a Japanese man, does that offend you? And he goes, I'm Mexican. And I was so embarrassed. And then I was like, I am so embarrassed, Julio. I did not realize. So obviously, Julio, Mexican name. So he yeah. tells the same joke. And he said, he, but he changes it. And he's like, yeah, my friend, he's Chinese and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, yeah. And the guy goes, I'm Mexican. And I was like, I am so sorry, Julio. And I was like, that is my joke. You Dude. didn't even change the, the Mexican name at the end of the joke. And so, yeah, I sent him that. And he's just like, uh, great minds think alike. I'm like, well, I can't. There's nothing I can do. But that's like not possible. Great minds think alike, it's sure, not. but no. No. So do they and have also, no shame? But what's that? They have no shame. No shame. And but also he he doesn't know any better. So that's the other problem is that a lot of people are getting into comedy these days because it's become so popular. Yeah. That they they aren't fans of the art form. So when you get into it, people don't realize that oh, like you're. I, I've had jokes where I did. I used to open with a really stupid line where it was just a quick. I would go, uh, oh shit, hold on. <laughs> How did it go? Oh, I'd be like a uh, little bit about myself. It's like I like chicken pot pie, not in that order. Did everybody get it? Who's gonna get it? So then it's like, but then somebody sent me a clip from a an American comedian special who was like, yeah, I like to smoke pot because I'll think of things like mm, chicken pot pie. Those are my three favorite things. So I'm like. That's too close to the joke that I'm doing. Right. So I stopped doing the joke. Okay. Which is how it's supposed to go. If somebody right. makes you aware, oh, this other guy's already doing that yeah, bit yeah, or yeah. something like that, you just stop doing it. Yeah. But a lot of these younger comics I find don't start from a place of being a fan of comedy. They're like, right. oh, I want to be a comedian. So right. they just go up and they don't know any better. Yeah. I feel like that's probably a product of like this day and age, this time, like social media, all that stuff. Cause it's like, you know, for like ever, people have been like, oh, you're so funny. You should be a comedian. But right. like not everybody should be a fucking comedian. But then now it's like I feel like someone hears that and they're like, I should be a comedian. Yeah. And then they go on TikTok or whatever yeah. and they get a couple of likes. And so goes the snowball yeah. like I was talking about. And then there's the pressure to get to put out the content. That's the thing. Right. It's like it's not just live performance anymore. It's the pressure to put out content. So then people feel the need to replenish their act or like, you know, so they're they're a little liberal with taking from yeah. other ideas and other comics and stuff. When I started, there was none of that online stuff. And it's funny too, to think about, cause like when I started censorship came from the right wing where it was like, you shouldn't be talking about sex on stage. You shouldn't be saying this because it was the fallout of like Janet Jackson's nipple mm, at the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But now comedy uh, censorship comes from the left where it's like, you're, you don't punch down and you don't this and that. It's just like, I don't know. Just be funny. Right. And, but I feel like too, that like comedy comedians are always kind of like pushing that envelope a little bit and like pushing back on that, at least from what I've seen and not always in the crude way. Right. It's just like, 
well, this is relatable. This is what people are going through. And so we're going to talk about that. And that's kind of like the space that people can go to hear about that shit where they're not hearing it everywhere else. That's kind of being watered down now that it's on social media and everything, which again, then takes away from the authenticity. But so, okay, you were talking about authenticity at the very beginning. You were like, it's hard to tell like a true story. It's hard to do that. Now you're saying people need to replenish their shit. They'll take from other people because maybe they're not doing cool shit. I don't know. But like, how do you, how much of it is true stories then? Uh, Like for my stuff, almost all of it, um, almost everything that I say on stage actually happened to me or is something that I observed and put a twist on to bring it Mm. to the stage. But like when I say authenticity, it doesn't mean that it has to have happened to you, but that it is your authentic like point of view on what's funny. Yeah. Um, I think when people go worry about what the crowd will find funny instead of what they find funny and presenting it to the crowd. Yeah. 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 Um, But then the other, like, so one of the issues I had when I put out my special is that I have uh, a joke. I have a couple of jokes that kind of walk up to a line and the bad thing, like I had two jokes go viral on Facebook that both had over a million views on Facebook. The thing is, is that I didn't realize that, the craziest people are on Facebook. Yeah. Oh my so God. Like, I, I, I thought Reddit would be bad, but the Reddit response <laughs> was so positive, but Facebook has insane people yeah. who misinterpreted the point of the jokes that I was telling. So uh, the reason that those jokes specifically went viral is because people were arguing in the comments and that boosted the friggin' algorithm. Right. So now if I was, uh, um, an inauthentic scumbag comic, I would start courting those people right? and I would start pushing the envelope just to get that kind of a response. Now that's not who I am. So that's not what I did, but there would, I have a joke about, uh, in my special where I talk about a friend of mine, the day after my daughter was born was like, Oh, you had a girl. Don't you wish you had a boy? And I was like, no, like, Think about all the money I'm going to save. One day I'll be the tooth fairy. If I had a son, that's a buck a tooth. Daughter, 78 cents. We're going to teach her about the wage gap early. Blah, blah, blah. I love that joke. It's funny to me. It made me laugh when I thought about it. So I tell it. But (laughs) in the comments on that on Facebook, I had to delete comments. And then people were like, don't delete the comments because that'll help your algorithm. And that was a dilemma for me. But it was Mm. like people would be commenting like, I agree with this guy. The wage gap is a myth and women are garbage and blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, that's not what I said. That's not at all what I said. Yeah. it's this I it's another you know reason why I don't necessarily want to be doing stand-up a lot longer is that it's just become like if you're not creating online content yeah then you know you don't exist anymore and I don't want I I only want to do live performance yeah but it's tough to get any further ahead if you're just doing live stuff, because if a promoter or a booker looks at it and they go, well, this guy's as funny as this guy here, but this guy has 40,000 Instagram followers yeah. and this guy has 1500. No brainer. It for makes them. sense. Right. Yeah. So. How do you um, marry then the whole, like, I like what I'm doing, like, or I guess before you've come to the, I guess, okay place of like, I'm okay not doing this much longer. How do you marry what you want to be doing and who you are with like what's out there? Because you, like we already said, are humble. Like you seem like a very kind person. How do you then like take all of that criticism that's like in the Facebook comments and the people being like, Oh, I'm sure there was comments like, Oh, he really thinks that like what a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. What do you do with that when you walk away, when you lay in bed at the end of the night? Uh, Well, specifically there's a joke on my special, which was the one by far the most 
popular joke um, based like views and stuff that it went viral on a few different platforms uh, about the difference between formula feeding a baby and breastfeeding. Mm. And I knew that was going to be the one that hit the most because it is such a topic that hits so close to home for so many people. It was people misunderstanding aspects of it that that bothered me. And so then I would just explain myself, which a lot of comics will just put it out there and they won't comment when people will leave comments on their Mm -hmm. stuff. But I also, to me, the worst thing is to be misunderstood. So I didn't want people to think that I was saying this and meaning this because they're take the way they interpreted it because of however they were raised or whatever the way they their viewpoint on the world is is that they would think I was saying something far worse than I was or whatever and I I wanted to clarify because I don't want I'm not a bad guy and I don't want people to leave a show or or viewing one of my clips um feeling like I'm a negative guy or feeling bad I am my my sole intention is to get laughs I'm not a comedian who's up there trying to shock or upset or whatever. So I had no problem. I I put it out there. One of the things that people really got butthurt about was that I said, like, you know, we planned to breastfeed. The milk didn't show. We like the baby. Yeah. So she's too young for pizza bagels. But when I said we planned to breastfeed, there were so many comments be like, we? Are you serious? We planned? And I was like, yes, my wife and I sat down and we discussed, what do we want to do? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And then... Do we want, she said, do we want to breastfeed? Yeah, well, if we can, sure. But people got so mad at me for saying we wanted, we planned. And she's like, people would be like, you weren't part of that. Your wife and I'm like, well, maybe in your relationship. Oh my goodness. I'm only, I can only talk about my own. Why do people just want to be so mad? Well, that's the other thing. George Carlin said it great. He's like, think about how dumb the average person is and then realize half the population is dumber than that person (laughs) it blows my mind yeah like especially especially on facebook it is anarchy out there it's wild it is draining twitter has fallen off the planet no i it's i still use twitter for like live news and sports updates but it's like it's insanity and it's just like open racism and hatred and stuff. And I'm just like, Twitter is gone. But I didn't realize because I would only use Facebook for like promoting local gigs and I had a private account. So it would be like just the 1500 people that I'm Facebook friends with or whatever, (laughs) which is the worst, but they would see what I'm saying. But then like opening up myself to the, to the world wide web with my special and having to have all this stuff public I really, it was an eye opener. I was like, oh my God, it is crazy out there. Does that eat at you at all? Like, are you like, oof, like that one hurt? I definitely, well, none none of it hurts. The funny thing is is that the most frequent thing that I got was that people said that I looked like Tom Segura gained all his weight back, which (laughs) I, listen, I can't sue them for slander. So (laughs) uh, I made a funny video about that. That's on my, all of my socials, just about me like, oh, I'm going to read all the comments on my special. And then I'm like scrolling through and I would put like a screenshot on the screen of like, oh, okay. He looks like fat Tom Segura. I'm like, oh, well, okay. And then I'd read a positive one and I'd read like four in a row that were like, Tom Segura looks like shit again. <laughs> but you just have to consider the source with that stuff. Yeah, like you can't enough. take it too seriously. If it was a, if it was a comedian or a, a person that I know or like personally, that was like that sucked or that's shit. 
then it might bother me, but you have to consider the source. It's just random idiots. And also like I would click on a guy's page and be like, and, and a few times I would look at it and I was like, oh man, your life stinks. I'm not even going to fire back at you. Like, I get where <laughs> you're coming from. But sometimes I would fire back at people because it would bug me that people would be so unoriginal and be like, like probably 50 people were like, this guy looks like Tom Segura from wish.com. Oh my god! And so then I would fire back with something and then they would apologize. Be like, no, 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 I'm joking. It was great. I was just trying to, so then, oh yeah, because I fired back way too hard on a few people because I'm I'm nice, but I'm way better at being mean than you'll ever be. <laughs> I'm I'm a lot more creative than a random dink from Texas or whatever leaving yeah. a post. So, uh, but my wife would be like, "Can you please just don't say that?" Because <laughs> I I still have to live in the world, and I don't right. want that coming back on me that my husband's out there wishing disease on people or whatever. So, but isn't it funny how then they turn around and they're like, "Oh, just kidding, just kidding." Immediately, like, the keyboard like, oh, warriors no, keep going, man. If you're ever in my hometown, I'll, I'm like, yeah, I'm puke. Yeah, I'm not coming to the Oklahoma Panhandle anytime <laughs> soon. So, do you think that people do that though intentionally, like try to like be funny or whatever around you oh, yeah. because you're funny? Yes, and you also get like people think that comedians are all like like curse wildly all the time so people right. would come up to me after shows and be like nuts and like people would want to tell me jokes and you're like sometimes Don't. it's fine and it's like oh i've got one for you but then they'll tell me like a joke that's like two guys walk into a bar and it's like well i don't do those on stage right but one time i was so my um my first wife uh a black woman and i talked about uh i had jokes about uh, being in an interracial relationship and a guy comes up to me after the show and he goes uh i've got a joke for you you're gonna love this and i was like okay mm-hmm. and i i won't obviously won't say the words that he said but he said two n-words <gasps> walk into a uh f word for gay bar and i go no i'm like i don't want to hear that. oh my god and he goes what because you don't want to hear my joke. I just listen to you for 45 fucking minutes. And you're not going to listen to my joke. Fuck you, man. Ew. And he walks across the room and he goes up to a group of guys that all look like NFL linemen. They're all like oh God. six, six, 300 pound dudes. And I see him pointing over at me. Oh, fuck. And then they fucking walk over. And I'm like, oh, it's happening. I'm with my opening act. Who's like a hundred pounds. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'll use him as a bat if I need to. <laughs> but they... They walk up and they're trying, it's like, they're trying to be like, Ew. We're, we're classy guys. So the guy goes like, my friend, no, my uh, friend over here just wanted to tell you a joke and you wouldn't let him. Puke. We were very respectful during your show and we watched you and we had a good time. You won't let him. And I go, okay, tell them the joke you wanted to tell me. So he goes, two N words walk into a thing bar. And I'm like, and they go, Oh, and they put up their hands like, right. sorry. And they back away from him. And he just kind of like put his head down and like slunk off, but his own friends like walked away from him. But yeah, that, Dude. that shit happens. But it's like, where is your self-awareness that yeah. I was just talking about being in an interracial relationship and you come up and drop N word with a hard R yeah. and the F word for gay. No. And like, just don't even bat an eye. But it's like, we're well, a comedian, so you guys all talk. No, we don't. No, no. But that's like such a misconception because I feel like, you know, this whole time you've been like, oh, people that know comedy or people that pay attention to that stuff, it's like, it's so niche, like the inner workings of it, which I get. I feel like that's like a lot of industries. But then on the outside of that niche, people just stereotype you, right. like in 
in just like so many ways and that is one of them that everybody like swears that everybody thinks like the dumbest shit is right. funny or that the grossest shit is funny or something right. i feel like another major stereotype too that like comedians across the board get is that like every single comedian is just like mentally fucked up yeah like so depressed and, or and something so many comedians perpetuate that shit yeah where they're like well i'm a comedian so i have to be dark and sad right. or i have to i have to do drugs and i have to drink before i go on stage it's like no you don't you're making those choices and you would have made those choices no matter what you did. Yeah, totally. If you were a plumber, you'd be like, oh, I'm a plumber, so I have to drink and smoke weed and on the weekend. It's like, no, you woke up with those decisions and then became a comedian. It yeah. wasn't like you're not doing those things because you're a comedian. I know plenty of well-adjusted comedians. We're all a little neurotic, but it's also... <laughs> who isn't? Who isn't? And it's like, yeah, I think there's a certain mindset of people, like people who have a certain mind frame that get into comedy because you have to be a little bit weird to be like, I'm going to stand on stage and nobody else gets to talk. And right. I'm going to I'm going to talk and I'm going to try to be funny. And it's like there is a, a weirdness and a boldness to that. But this whole like, oh, I'm so dark and tortured. It's like you're making jokes about your balls. How dark and tortured <laughs> are you? If you're really dark and tortured, go write music. It's a, yeah. it's a better way to make a living. That is fair, I guess. I feel like though it's either that or like now again with like social media and like that whole new age yuckery, honestly, in my opinion, it's like now it's like this cocky, like hot boy shit. Like Ugh. I'm just a fuck boy and I like fuck these women blah 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 and we see that so much matt yeah. rife and it's like yeah matt rife what is that shit. but he also sucks like yeah, he's, he's so terrible. bad so, it's funny because like i know people that are like that guy's so popular and like because he does all those crowd work things right so yeah. it's that thing where he but when he does his own material he sucks shit yeah. and like anybody who watched five minutes of his netflix special knows that unless he's talking to the crowd He's got less than nothing. Like he did that domestic violence joke about yeah. like a, a waitress had a black eye and he's like, well, she should be in the kitchen or whatever. It's like, oof. like that joke that my dad probably heard that joke in elementary school in the fifties. Right. And not the kind that needs to be recycled. It's, it's just, it sucks and he stinks. And, but, and I, I do fear that that is a new uh, thing. That's going to, that's going to be the new trend. It's like, also comedy is not for you, Matt Rife. You got a <laughs> chiseled jaw and piercing blue eyes. Go do something else. Go be an it's, actor or something. Yeah. It's for weird looking lump heads like myself. <laughs> you bum. But then it's like, how does he get, this is what I don't understand. Maybe you can shed some light on this. Cause you know, the niche and everything. How the fuck does he get free passes? Like, I know he's like really coming down now and he's catching some shit now, but it's like, I feel like he did some shitty things already. Got yeah. some free passes. Why? Because he has a big following and people can make money off that. But why do other people with big followings, like actors, singers, whoever, why do they get canceled faster or easier? Like what is it? Is it that like dark and tortured comedian thing? Nah, I I think it's as long as somebody in power thinks they can make money mm. with you, then you're golden. So unless Matt Rife actually like assaults a woman instead of oh. just talking about making jokes about assaulting a woman, then he's gonna continue to put out mediocre dog shit comedy. But that's another thing. Like I don't know any comedians who respect that guy yeah fair enough um but he doesn't seem to care about that he doesn't give a shit he's, like he just wants the likes he, he wants yeah, the he's doing he's doing what he wants to do and i'm doing what i want to do and fair enough you know he's uh he's making a lot more money but i i wouldn't trade places with him and yeah. he wouldn't trade places with me so 
you know, live and let live. But yeah, I, if, if it became a law that I had to watch his comedy, <laughs> then I'd be really bummed out. But it was so easy to hit the block button and mm, never have to see him again. Totally. So do you, um, like, when you, or if you, I guess, watch comedy on, like, Netflix, like, other people's specials, these types of things, I'm assuming you do, mm-hmm. can you, like, in the first few minutes, because you are in the inner circle of the niche, like, you know what's up, are you like, this is going to be terrible? Or this is going to um, be so good? So sometimes my wife and I will... I'll be like, let's just watch the first five minutes of a bunch of specials until we see one that we like. And so uh, there, there is a thing too now because there's so much money for somebody doing like a Netflix special that they rush them out. Mm. And it used to be before like Louis C.K. like 10 or 15 years ago started doing a special every year. And he would book a venue. He'd be like, hey, October 13th, I'm filming my new special. And he didn't have his new material ready. So he would just go out and grind out a new hour in a year. And... I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, that's what you got to do. But Louie was very special. And even all of those Louie specials weren't end-to-end fantastic. So it's like what used to happen is that a comic would have his act. And he would have an hour of jokes that worked no matter where he went. And he had honed it like a diamond. But then people kind of, the business changed. And it, it went from being your act to what's your new shit? Do you have any new shit? Right. And... I feel like with a lot of those like older Louis specials weren't super solid. And I feel like if he had taken the best stuff from this one, that one and this one Mm. and made one killer special, it would be so much better. But then a lot of comedians tried to follow that thing where it's like, well, I've got to do a new hour every year. And it's like a lot of people just are not capable of that. So you end up with these really shitty Netflix specials. But my wife and I were doing that one night and we found Dion Cole. He's one of the old Spice guys. And he was on on that sitcom Blackish. And I was not really familiar with his stand-up act. And we turned it on one night and we were just doing the thing where we were going to watch five minutes and we watched the whole special. And Mm. we still talk about that special, how shocked we were that I was like, God, that's such a great special. But nobody was talking about it like they would talk about the new blank, like Chappelle special, which would get a lot of talk because of the controversy and stuff. But it was like for just being a really funny special, that was a great special. So sometimes you find these like diamonds uh, on Netflix that don't get a lot of hype yeah um but yeah no, no there are just a lot of bad specials i mean there are two things that you said that i'm like fully resonating with one is like you know Chappelle, etc like the controversy is what gets the views and people like want to see what everyone's talking about so they go and watch it or like right. they like the controversy so they want to watch it or they just like him so they want to watch it whatever sure. but like controversy sells do you know what i mean like that yeah. kind of like very like off the cuff like oh did he really just right. say that like that's the kind of thing that sells and i mean whatever it is what it is but that's how i guess people get in trouble or people like don't continue being fans or whatever but then on the flip side it's like you find one that you do really like that you're like oh that was so good i want to find more from that person yeah so then you look up another one and that happened to us so many times we'd see one really funny one on netflix like oh my god that person was so funny let's go watch another one we'd watch the next one we're like this is fucking terrible yeah not at all as funny as the last one yeah just moving too quick you're saying just moving too quick and like for a lot of comics their first album there's a, a comic in alberta who put out like four albums in his first seven years in comedy and it's like wow. they're every single one of them is horseshit <laughs> oh, no. 
just brutal. Aww. And it's like that shouldn't you shouldn't be because in especially in Canada, it's a way to make money to get your stuff played on satellite radio mm. that people rush out and I'm like, I have to do an album because otherwise I'm not making this passive income or whatever. I also feel like I'm not the friggin authority. But in my <laughs> opinion, you shouldn't be doing an album you're in your first 10 years in comedy really because it takes so long to a find your voice and b just like develop hmm. that act and like your first act a lot of comedians their first hour of material is very authentic to who they are like once they've not like the first jokes but the first one it becomes your act so like the stuff that you will tell every night when you're in a club because you know it's gonna work because it's that funny then you do your special and you're kind of supposed to abandon that material and do new stuff. But then a lot of comics fall into this thing where it's like, they're just out there grinding, doing comedy shows. So they're not experiencing a lot of life yeah. beyond that. Yeah. So then the average, the average audience doesn't just want to come to a show and hear you talk about inside comedy shit. Like they yeah, don't yeah. care. Yeah. Um, so you're not talking about anything that's really relatable anymore. And then, yeah, so you just end up with these forced, not great specials. But if all else fails, just put on Nate Bargatze and everybody will enjoy every minute of his. He Nate Bargatze is like the guy right now. If you like clean comedy, he doesn't swear. Uh, if you like uh, dirty comedy, Shane Gillis is the yes. funniest guy. Michelle Wolf is phenomenal. Uh, uh, Phil Hanley is a great comedian that he's got a special on uh, YouTube that is as good as anything that's come out in the last 20 years. Oh, um, it's 20. so good. Ivan Decker is another Canadian comic that is just consistently funny. But that's the thing is like it is friggin' hard to yeah. be consistently funny and creative in comedy and not do stuff that's too similar to somebody else's stuff mm. or you know it, it's it's I think the un the person who isn't comedy savvy doesn't understand how hard it is to come up with new stuff that works on stage and not just in like a conversational kind of funny way with a friend yeah. and and have it be um, original and your voice like yeah. it's, it's it's a friggin grind that's another reason why I'm like I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this because to go out and build that act takes time so yeah. much time and I'm not really willing to sacrifice three or four nights a week away from my family because I live, we live out in the Valley now too. So I'm 90 minutes from yeah. almost every show. And the other thing is that if I'm trying out new, new jokes and they aren't going well, I've just driven three hours to talk for 10 minutes and bomb. Yeah. And so then it's like, how much, how much am I really getting out of this? So yeah. Okay. A few questions off of everything you just said. Yeah. Number one, how long does it take you to prep for a show? If you're doing like brand new, I guess, I guess you kind of like do the same show though a few times, right? Cause you have the same set or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if I'm going out specifically to work on new stuff, like I always keep notes in my phone mm -hmm. and then I kind of write like I'll write out a set list on a big piece of paper and I'll have bullet points of like, okay, I've got to hit this point, this point, this point in this order to try and make this work. Um, mm. And I record all of my sets with audio just because if I throw something out off the cuff, I want to hear, oh, how did I say that? That, you know, that, that that's the only thing that got the laugh. So okay. the plan stuff didn't work, but I threw this out and that got a laugh. But then sometimes you forget. And then it's like that, that joke that worked is just gone. 
Oh, shit. And you always lie to yourself and be like, oh, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. I don't need to write that down. But you freaking yes. forget. Yes. But if I'm like doing like a show where like I'm opening for somebody, it's I'm I'm never trying out a new thing when I'm like on stage. Unless I, I opened for Sam Morrill, who's another fantastic comedian. I've opened for him a few times. And he will encourage you to do new stuff. Like try it out out there. Give okay. it a shot. See how it goes. But sometimes comics, especially like like a famous American comic will be like, um, go up, do 12 minutes. Don't be too dirty because I don't want to mm. follow dirtiness or whatever and hit them hard. And some comics will be like, hit them hard, but not too hard. Like I, I have to go out there right after you. So, right. But uh, so in those situations, like when I opened for David Spade last year, I did two shows and his regular opening act messaged me on Instagram and was like, uh, Sam Morrill recommended you. Uh, would you be interested in doing like eight to 12 minutes, not too dirty in front of David Spade and I, and I was like, I would love to. And so then he's like, so then I have to think, I'm like, okay, if I have eight to 12 minutes, I have to plan out an eight minute set if they want me to get off at eight. And then if they do want me to stretch to 12, I have to think, okay, so then what else would I say? And then what, what am I going to do that makes sense that ties together? So it just sounds like, so there's like a flow to what I'm doing rather than like, Here's a bit about marriage. Here's a bit about uh, sports. Here's a bit about this. Like something that kind of like ties all of them together. So it'd be like, yeah. It's more um, thought than you think. Yeah. I feel like people think you just go up there and you're just like, bing, 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 no. bing, 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 bing. So there's like a psychology to it too. So it's like, okay, so if I'm doing a joke about weed or whatever the fuck, for example, if I'm doing a joke about weed and then I do three jokes about parenting and then I go back to doing a joke about weed <laughs> and then it's like, well, why didn't you put those two weed jokes yeah. together? So it's just like trying to get a, a flow to it and then end on a big laugh. Right. Wrap it all up. It's funny because... I feel like as you've been talking, I'm like drawing these parallels to what I do with podcasting. Obviously, totally different, way different because I'm not like in front of a bunch of people. I'm just having conversations, very relaxed. But at the same time, it's like you have to be reading the room. I feel like when you're on the stage and like seeing like, how does it go? I feel that way as well. Like I have, I mean, like I told you before we started recording, like I have a list of questions in case we get into a lull or whatever. But when I I'm recording a podcast with somebody like I really want it to be conversational and so I'm like whatever you talk about like obviously I'm going to be going with that flow too but at the same time like you have to have like a backup plan like a contingency right. so it's like if you're up there and you're like I'm fucking bombing yeah. nobody's laughing yeah. what do you do do you have some shit in the back that you're like this is what I'll bring out if no one's laughing at anything I came in with yes so I've had that happen before where I'm like these jokes always work blah blah, blah. and then they don't and you're like that's a feeling that Fuck. sucks shit where you're like <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, I know I'm not wrong because I've told this joke <laughs> to f- 90 crowds in the last year and they all loved it. And that's the only reason I'm telling it tonight is because it has worked every other time. And then the crowd is not on board. So I'm like, okay, I take the joke that I was going to close with and I move it up in the order. Okay. And then I, cause I know that that joke and if that joke bombs, we're all going to hell tonight together <laughs> oh, no. or it's whatever. And it happens. And if you ever meet another comedian and they say that they've never bombed, they're shitty at comedy <laughs> because the only way that you get better is to, is to try. And right. literally every stand up comedian from the worst to the greatest of the greats has bombed. It, yeah. It's unavoidable. But yeah, so you just, there's things that you can try. You can, if you're really not getting over with them or connecting, you can try doing crowd work if you want. 
Um, you can reference that you're bombing because sometimes that'll break the tension and just right. be like, oh, wow, like that sucked. Oh, uh, geez, I thought that would get a laugh, but holy shit. And sometimes that'll get people on your side because like, oh, okay, okay, he's he's here with us. Because sometimes right. too, you get, you're like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. But the crowd doesn't care about that. And so they're not connecting because you're not really connecting with them right. because you went up with a plan and some guys don't know any better and they can't deviate from the plan. Right. So especially when I was younger, uh, it's called going bullet. So right after the host goes up and the first comedian on the show is the bullet spot because you're taking the bullet for everybody else. A lot of times it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. I used to ask every time, put me up bullet because I was nervous that I only had seven or 10 minutes of jokes that at, at, in all of comedy, I had seven or 10 <laughs> minutes of jokes at that time. And I was worried if somebody else on the show does a joke that's too similar, oh, yeah. then I can't tell that joke. And then I am fucked. I've got nothing. Right. So I would beg, like put me up bullet because I couldn't deviate from that. Right. Plan. So yeah. But then as you, as you grow and if you stick with it, then you do learn little, little tricks and stuff. And sometimes those tricks are frowned upon, but sometimes it's just about survival. But this is something that you've been referencing like throughout the night, right? Which is like finding your voice and like getting in that pocket and like getting out of the like, I don't know, standard, like kind of borrowed voice thing and just like really like right. leaning into your own character or whatever, your own confidence you said earlier. First of all, is there a way to, I guess, fast track that? Like, can you like go see a fucking mentor? Can you like take a workshop? Like, how do you lean into that without it taking 10 the, years? Well, it's tough because there are people who are na who naturally like I had a friend of mine who became a headliner for for Yuck Yuck's comedy after like two years in comedy. But he stayed at that level. He never got beyond that. So he kind of got ahead fast, but then stayed exactly where he did. His yeah. act never developed beyond that. And then he eventually quit comedy. I had a couple of mentors over the years, but like they can only do so much. Yeah. You still have to go up there and, and be yourself. They can give you tips, but it's really no way to fast track it. As far as like taking a comedy course, the bad thing with that is, you know, 99 times out of 100, the person running the course is someone who sucked shit at, com <laughs> at comedy, but was like, here's a way that I can still make right. money in comedy. And they can, they're really good at maybe they'll, they'll have their course. You'd come and you do six six sessions with me and 12 other young people that want to start comedy. And at the end of that, we'll do a show and you get your first show, which is a great way for a young comic to get into doing their first show. But it's wildly unnecessary because there's nothing comedians love more than talking about comedy. So any of those things that you could learn from these people that teach comedy courses any local professional comic will tell you these things if you right. have questions after a show. And unless they're, you know, bitter old dinks, then they will, they'll, they'll give you that time. And if you're like, oh, I really want to do comedy or I've been doing comedy for six months and I, and I have some questions, they'll sit down and they'll have those conversations mm. with you. So you don't need to, uh, you don't need to pay somebody who all, you know, sucked at comedy to <laughs> tell you how, because that's the other thing. Then you, if you are going to take a comedy course, uh, if you're listening to this, you're like, I want to try comedy. And if you've heard everything I've said and you still want to try comedy, God, <laughs> God bless. But look up the person that is teaching right. the class and see if they have anything out there. And if you watch their clips and you're like, well, that's terrible. 
don't, don't take their class. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Sounds like common sense, but maybe not. Yeah. Okay, so I was going to ask you earlier when you were like, I don't know what else I would do. Like, I'm not really willing to give up that time. I was going to be like, would you mentor people? Would you host oh, a workshop? For sure. I don't know if I would host a workshop. It all depends on how the next little while goes. I've thought about putting together like an online comedy course, um, but... Again, like a lot of the comedians that have done that kind of stuff over the years are not really respected. Okay. So, and that's it's, utmost it's, it's, for it's, you. It's, it's, it's tough for me because it's like, who am I to right. teach comedy? I can only give you my perspective on what I, how I think comedy should be done, but the way I think comedy should be done has kind of changed a Fair lot enough. over the year, too. So, if any young comic, it's happened a thousand times. The worst thing, though, is when a young comic would be like, can you watch this set and tell me what you think? Oh my God. But then they send me like a 20 minute video or even worse, a 20 minute audio clip. And then I, I'm too nice. Oh no. I will sit there and I will listen to it. And sometimes you give feedback. That's just like, yeah, like it's, I'll really listen for something that I can say positive. But oh, some, interesting. somebody sent me a, a, a set last year and was like, would you mind listening to my, and she sent me like a 12 minute set and I listened to it. And honestly, I was like, there's nothing. There is not four seconds in that 12 minutes oh, no. that I could say, like, here's what you're doing. Here's something you're doing right. So it was really a struggle to, like, find something to be so like. So did you say, like, your set sucks, dude? Rework it? No, because. Oh, no. Because, well, I would if if I thought that was the type of person that right benefit from that kind of feedback but again like if they say be brutally honest i will be but mm. not a lot of people like be brutally honest they kind of want you to just reinforce like you're on the right path um really and it, even if they're not i i f- i have to find something right that- i mean yeah like sandwich it a little bit i don't know why i'm shocked i'm like really people want i feel like when i ask people like what do you think of the show or like i'll put out polls on social media to like kind of get a feel for like where i'm at and like right where i'm going i want people to be like like i put out one a few weeks ago and i was like do you find the show repetitive or is it like you know right. new and fresh and like the people that were that voted repetitive, I was like, thank you. Like, they, I don't want my show to be repetitive, yeah. but thank you for telling me if you felt like it was because you don't get better by exactly doing the same thing totally. over and over again. You have to, yeah, you have to get some negative feedback at some yeah. point, and it doesn't. But that's the other thing. So, like, how do you deliver feedback that is negative? You don't. I don't want to yeah. crush your spirit, totally. but I also don't want to encourage you to do something shitty, yeah, um, or do something poorly. So yeah, it, it's tough, but yeah, I'm always, I'm always open to a young comic who wants my thoughts on something, but uh, also I find, you know, um, maybe a lot of young comics these days don't want my thoughts because whatever, but I, you're pretty self-aware. Like you're pretty aware of where comedy is going and stuff. So even when you're like, I, they don't want my take on it cause I don't do that type yeah. of thing, but you know, I could, what give, needs to be there's done. There's certain things that I could give advice to any young comics, but like one of them is like how to grow your brand or how to mm. become what kind of stuff online. I can't help you with any of that. But if, if it's live performance, I can tell you, I can listen to your set and I can figure out where you're screwing up. That's mm. easy. But it's trying to find those positives that's the hard thing if, mm-hmm. if they're really um, new and not um, good. Mm. So you have been talking about like the confidence piece 
throughout like especially at the beginning you were like you gotta be confident on stage you can tell when someone's not confident on stage obviously you do have a confidence because you can go up there and you can do the whole thing and you can knock it out what have you always been confident where did that come no. from and i'm still wildly unconfident like my wife oh, no i think my wife gets really bummed out when i've got like a big show coming up because she just knows like i'm just gonna be like in my head for a few days leading yeah. up to it and be like uh especially now that i'm doing fewer shows because we live so far away that i don't i get rusty sometimes and mm. that'll get in my head so like if i'm driving to a show i had to do i did a conference for um logging truck drivers two weeks ago okay which those gigs aren't typically a lot of fun but the friggin money is so good you can't turn it down where it's like if you told me 15 years ago like oh you're gonna get this much money for 30 minutes but then like four days out they tell me you have to be clean and I'm like I'm not a super clean comedian so then I'm worried like what am I gonna say what jokes (laughs) am I gonna do my timing is so bad right now so then my wife will be like "Ugh, like just stop doing comedy if you're not gonna be (laughs) confident but like some of my like favorite comedians are very unconfident until they get up there but there was this video that went the 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 most viral thing the first week of the year was cat williams the comedian being interviewed by shannon sharp he said something in there that was so good and hit so strong to me which he was like to be confident and not delusional is an art form Mm. and you there's a lot of delusional people in stand-up and it's like delusional how they like think that they are a lot better than they are right and i i think a lot of i'm just having this revelation now as i'm saying the stuff out loud so but i think like a lot of the the way that i am in comedy is based more on what i don't want to be than what Mm. i do want to be Hmm. wow fucking deep but yeah (laughs) no i just like that's always been kind of a guiding thing where it's like i remember seeing bitter 20 year deep comedians Mm. who hated the young generation and said that what they're doing is wrong. It's like, no, it's just different. Mm. And so I don't hate the young kids. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And that's their, that's the journey that they're going on. And I would be a ass wipe if I (laughs) tried to take them off that path and I won't, and I won't be that bitter comic who's sitting in the back of the room going, It's just you have to acknowledge that this is the way it is now and I can be a part of it or I can take myself out of it. And that is your choice to make. And I'm choosing to slowly back myself out of comedy. But if I have an idea for a new joke, I'm going to go somewhere and get up on stage and and tell it and see if I have anything to what end. I don't know. But sometimes it's just fun to try something new and and do that live performance like ultimately that's what i got into it for was live performance so i can still i can always do that but yeah like i just i don't want to be that old comic who (laughs) just trots out the same 15 minutes every time you see him he's got nothing new and he's not even excited to be here he's just doing it because that's all he's ever done yeah that's tough i feel like you have a really good like outlook on it though and i feel like I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I don't even know if you know where it comes from, but it's like you just are very like, I love it, but. It is what it is. Um, sometimes, you know, you can you can love something for what it was. And um, I think trying to hold on to that is what can be mm. someone's downfall, where they try to hold on to something that no longer exists. 
and you know, it's not working anymore. No, can't can't wrap your arms around the fog. So Ugh. but does it make you sad that it's changing? No. Okay. No, it is what it is. I I don't I can't be sad because like I said, I've I've done more than I ever thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um do I wish that comedy was more like it was 5 10 years ago? Yes, but only as a comedy fan myself. Where right. It's like I would like to see more great specials selfishly just because I want to watch them myself. Like it's not but it, it you know, comedy over the years has always changed and it goes through these cycles. So hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I refuse to be that old guy. That's like, these kids don't get it. Yeah. I, I, because you know, I saw those guys and I was like, I can't become them. Yeah. Fair enough. I guess it's just like the ebb and flow of like trends and like what is popular, what people are interested in. I guess it is interesting. I didn't really think about it until you just said it, but it's like, I wonder if Netflix specials as we know them are going to be shifting and like on their way out as well, because if it's all crowd work, like you were saying, like, do people really want to watch a 45 minute special of people right. interacting there, with there the crowd? There are comics like Todd Berry has done just crowd work specials or there are a handful of guys who splice that in. Like Phil Hanley does some crowd work in his specials, but his his Instagram. Th- that's the thing, too. There are only about there may be five to 10 comics in all of comedy in the thousands of people doing comedy that I want to watch do crowd work. Right. Um, but yeah, most people just aren't as good at it. Mm. And so I would really, I, I hope that that doesn't become the trend with Netflix specials, but it's like, I, I might've said it earlier. I've said a lot, so I'm trying to think if I said <laughs> it or just thought it, but a lot of times people do crowd work online just because they don't want to, you to see the material they're going to do when you go to see them live. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, because then That's it's fair. called burning your material. So like if, if I put out uh, my special, a lot of that stuff, if people are coming to see me because they liked my special, yeah. I can't just, totally. just do that. So. I do hate that. I've heard that on podcasts a lot. Like you have like an author or somebody on and then they like talk to you about their book and then you like buy their book or whatever and you read it and you're like, what the fuck? I heard all of this on the podcast. Yeah. Why did I buy this book? Right. Like what a waste. Yeah. And sometimes comedians will change the way they'll tell a joke. So it's like, oh, okay, he's doing that joke that I love from that I saw him tell on YouTube. And then he does it differently. And mm. I was like, oh, well, it was better when you said it the other way. Like, I know, a, I personally know a comedian. He's a friend of mine. And he's put a joke on, a, on his album. And I was like, that's different than you've told it literally every time mm. you've told it in the club. Why didn't you do it the way that was? Cause then it didn't work as well. Right. But for whatever reason, he felt that he had to change it a little bit for his album. And God, that was frustrating. But, <laughs> but yeah, no. And it's not like comedy is not like music where it's like people show up being like, I want you to play the hits. Yeah. 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 They want to hear your new shit. Totally. So. Yeah. Mm. It's an ever evolving game, I guess, and ever changing. And you always have to have new shit. And I'm glad that I'm not a comedian because, oh, my God, I could never do that. (laughs) That's for sure. That's why I just sit on my couch and have conversations with people. I mean, that's a fun thing, too. It is. I really appreciate you coming. I'm so grateful. I really, like I said, did not know anything about comedy. Um, I do have one more final question for you. Okay. Obviously, this show is called Stupid Cute. Mm -hmm. It's definitely about, you know what makes you more than meets the eye what's like behind the scenes what is something that makes you super cute what's something that people don't know about you or wouldn't know based on what they've seen online or at your shows i don't know that's tough because like 
I've been such an open book mm. for so long that there's not a lot of mystery left to <laughs> me. Um, shit. I honestly, I have no answer for that off the top of my head where I'm like, I mean, I wonder just if even throughout the whole conversation has been your stupid cue because definitely like you, you have been pretty open about the fact that you're like, I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. Like, I'm not, I didn't set out to be famous or whatever. And you've accomplished a lot. I've, I, I didn't set out to be famous and I accomplished that goal. There you go. (laughs) You have your integrity still. I love it. Well, thank you yeah. for coming. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening. If you made it to the end of all my <laughs> rambling, I appreciate it. If you made it to the end, uh, uh, send me a message on Instagram at Kevin Banner. Oh, my just, God. Just say, I made it. That's all you need to say. And I will know. <laughs> I know that you picked me up on Stupid Cute. Just say, I made it. I love it. I was like about to ask you to plug everywhere that people could find you, but you're already yeah. there. You've got your Instagram and then your YouTube special is up. It's yep. called... Heavy favorite. Heavy favorite. Yeah, it's uh, my my Instagram is just my name at Kevin Banner, and I've got my link tree there. If you want any of my other socials, they're all right there. Perfect, amazing. Awesome. I'll link that in the show notes as well, cuties. So stick around for the after party, and I'll see you there. Do you know what the only absolute only thing I could think of the entire time we were recording? Am I laughing too hard at his jokes? Is this actually funny? I thought he was hilarious. My cheeks literally hurt from smiling. But the whole time I was like, is this too much? Am I doing the most? I was in my head. I was not in my confident pocket that he was referring to the whole time. Um, But I had the best time. He knows a lot about comedy. Obviously, he's been in the game for so long, like he said. And he really knows, like, what it takes to be a good comic. I really did not know the ins and outs. I truthfully don't find a lot of comedy funny I know I said that like throughout the show but at the same time I'm like is it actually a good time like I don't know I've been to like one comedy show I think in my life and I was like it's mild to moderate like it's fine I guess I don't know I just maybe I don't think a lot of things are funny maybe I'm really cynical but you guys definitely have to watch his um YouTube special it was so like well put together and super cohesive like he was talking about like that flow and like making sure that everything fits and everything marries together he definitely has mastered that I also love that he is a little Victoria boy I feel like we dove right into the comedy thing which obviously is what we were here to discuss but at the same time like yeah he's a little he's a little island boy we have some things in common I love and not to mention that we met so organically through his wife I did um his wife's hair and we were just chatting who's also by the way hilarious hilarious I don't know if it just is like by nature or if she's just gotten hilarious by being around such a funny person I don't know how it works but I am not that funny I wish I was I often say that I think I'm funny but I'm not so I don't know what's going on there but anyways I had the best time with Kevin and I just like was low key sad when he was like, oh, I don't really care about doing comedy anymore. Like, it's fine. I was like, wait, what? Like, I just found you. Like, I think you're hilarious. I want to keep up watching your specials. Also wild that he like has had so many fame interactions that he's open for like David Spade and he's met all these famous people and he's done so many like major things. I feel like that's like unheard of and he's so humble about it, which I love and aspire to have as well. I mean, I just aspire to have like as many accomplishments as he has and like, I don't know, interactions and things that he's done. That would be a dream, I guess. Keep working, Haley, right? <laughs> Anyways, um, 
that's the after party. I'm exhausted. It's been a very long day. And we were down at the river today before Kevin got here. I was like in a panicked rush because I got here about 45 minutes before he did. There was a bit of technical issues before we began. I couldn't find my mics. Like there was a lot of crazy before he got here. So I am very tired. Um, I just in the spirit of like the behind the scenes of it all, I definitely was panicked before we began that I wasn't going to be able to record with him tonight. That's only happened to me one other time where my guest showed up and then nothing was working and I couldn't even record and my guest was already here. It was horrendous, embarrassing, mortifying. And I felt exactly that same way when Kevin got here, especially because he's done other podcasts before. And I was like, no, yeah, I'm just the slum that's never done this before. How embarrassing. So um, (laughs) with all that panic aside, I had the best time. I know so much more about comedy and I feel like now back to my cynicism I'm going to be watching comedy specials like okay what did Kevin say is this person living up to that type of thing I feel like he is very knowledgeable so I'm just going to take the information that he shared and put that as gospel thank you so much Um, if you guys enjoyed this episode you guys can again refer to the show notes, follow him on Instagram, message him, tell him you made it. If you made it through the after party, also message me, tell me that you made it. Um, you can watch his comedy special on YouTube and you can also follow me on social media that is linked in the show notes as well at stupid cute club for show announcements and content there. And then you can also follow my personal at Haley Craig to see lots of wild stories i don't know i'm definitely more in the stories than on the grid but that's where you get my day-to-day life what i'm up to where i'm at i love you so much cuties and i will see you next time love you bye